welcome to the Student Money Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Niemeyer. The mission of Student of Money is to connect listeners like you to a community of like-minded individuals to help you achieve your goal of financial freedom through entrepreneurship, investing, real estate, and personal development. This is episode 49. All right, guys, this week we have an in-studio guest who I've been coaching one-on-one with for the last several months. He recently closed on his first investment property of not just one, but four duplexes valued at over $650,000. His name is Luke Gola, and I wanted to bring him in and have him talk about his six-month journey as a real estate investor in today's market. So let's get right into it. I'm just going to say, Luke Gola, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yeah, so we've been uh, basically since the springtime, March, April mm-hmm. time frame, kind of when I first started the Cedar Rapids Real Estate Mastermind Group, you kind of reached out to me and said, hey, I want to have lunch. I want to see what, you got, what you're doing. And uh, you were interested in real estate. Yeah, yeah. I kind of started with a video of you and Matt Hennick, actually, in Dubuque. And, you know, I saw he was on there. I went to college with him at Loris and... You know he's doing great in Dubuque and you know I reached out to him and he recommended you know getting in contact with you to learn about real estate in Cedar Rapids and that's kind of kind of how it all started yeah we had that lunch meeting and I kind of decided at about that time that I was gonna mentor a couple people for a year for free uh, and I was like was you interested and you're like yeah and you kind of warned me <laughs> like sign me up you kind of warned me it's like now I'm gonna warn you we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna keep you busy and I'm, I'm like, like I'm like yeah okay okay but it didn't take long to ask to find out that you're serious. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're offering up the service and <laughs> calling you, texting you, and asking so many questions, and you were there explaining everything, and it it, it was great. That's pretty yeah. much that kind of kickstarted everything. And so let so let me ask you, why real estate? What what's the burn for the real estate? <laughs> so back in January. I kind of got bored. Okay. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to start something. You know, I, you know, I was looking into crypto, and that's not the route to go. And to, I want to create financial freedom. I just didn't know how to do it. And I stumbled upon real estate, and I was like, all right, let's start learning real estate. Everybody talks about the tax advantages, and when you say stumbled upon it, I mean. Obviously, you knew someone that had some real estate that you went to school with. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I knew Matt Hennick, and, you know, I reached out to him and asked him how things were going and learned about, you know, his experience and stuff. And then I started looking into real estate as in tax advantage, um, use it in, I would say, as a uh, advantage. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's a wealth creation tool, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's very numbers. It's, a, it's very financial. A lot of accounting. Um, and it's your it's your big biggest expense. And it, the, the tax advantages. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah you so, said the taxes are your biggest expense, which is what they are, mm-hmm. right? And and so when you take a look at, I just consider real estate as another business, and that it real estate is a form of business. 
And people that have businesses, if they're not in the real estate business themselves, they typically will invest in into real estate. Mm -hmm. So that's where they hold their wealth. Mm -hmm. So they'll create their wealth in their job or their business or whatever they have. Um, I just decided a while ago that my business is going to be in real estate, buying real estate. So it's kind of just all in one. But uh, you know, real estate's got the four income streams. Yeah. It's got uh, appreciation because it goes up in value over time. You have de depreciation, which is the phantom expense, which is how you pay zero in taxes when you can. Uh, it's got amortization, which basically means you have a loan against the property. And what other asset class can you get a loan, right? And then the, la and the fourth one, and the biggest one, is cash flow. It provides cash flow. So when we talk about going into debt to buy real estate, it's good debt versus bad debt. Right, right. right. And that was, that was the craziest thing to me when I was first learning about real estate and how banks are just so willing to give you hundreds, thousands of dollars <laughs> to right, go into right. debt. I mean, <laughs> banks are in the business to loan money out. That's how banks make money is through the arbitrage, which is the, mm -hmm. the difference in the interest rates on what they're giving you for your deposits. And then they have to turn around and reinvest that money at a higher. So they go out and give people car loans. They go mm -hmm. do commercial mortgages, uh, whatever it may be. And that's called the arbitrage, the difference in that. That's how banks make money. So they're in the business of lending money. They have to lend money, right? So uh, you can't use leverage. You can't go out and get a mortgage for crypto. You can't get it for gold and silver. No. You know, you can only get it for businesses that are established and have cash flow. And, you, of course, you can get it for real estate. So tell me about your experience. Uh, well, let's go back to the deal. You know, so you came to me, you said, hey, um, I want to get into the real estate business. And I just started putting on uh, these monthly masterminds. And um, and you said, yeah, I want to be in this. And and we did a Zoom call. We did a couple Zoom calls. And mm -hmm. you, I think at that point, we had already started looking at some properties. Yeah, yeah. We were looking at... <laughs> There's one night, there was this duplex, you know, two duplexes, right, side by side. They had to be bought together. And, you know, it was something that, you know, I kind of saw off market. And, you know, it was something that I got emotionally involved in. And mm -hmm. that's when <laughs> you said, no, you can't do that. You got to run the numbers right away. Yeah. And you don't even go out to the property yet. You know, don't want to waste your time. Don't want to waste their time. So... And it was a deal that just wasn't penciling it's, out. It's got to pass the eye test and, uh, you know, the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators. There's things out there that I'm looking for before I'll start to dive deeper into a property. And even, you know, that's why you say when you take a look at 100 properties and you like 10 and you put offers on three and you end up buying one, you know, how do you go through 100 properties? Well, you gotta have this litmus test, this 10,000 foot view, and one of them was the 1% rule. And it didn't meet it. And every, every way we tried to, you know, a 30 year mortgage and it was, you know, putting more down and it, Every way that we tried to make the deal work, it it wasn't. Because in the window that we've been working together, uh, interest rates have just continued to click mm -hmm. up, click up, click up, click yeah. up, right? So, and the problem was, is the guy that owned this property had only owned it for a few months, maybe six months. Mm -hmm. And he actually bought it right. He bought it at a low price. Yeah. And his whole 
strategy was to raise rents, turn around, relist it, and basically flip the property. He was not interested in being a long-term landlord. No, and that's when I reached reached out to you. I'm like, how do we approach this? You know, tried doing seller financing and every every single way that we tried saying, hey, interest rates are going up. He just wasn't budg- budging. Yeah. And even when I did my own underwriting, we sent that to him and we're like, hey, is there something that we're missing for like expenses or anything in between? And he's like, no, everything looks right. Maybe add a little bit more on the expense because of laundry, yeah. in-house laundry. And and he's like, I just want more money. I'm like, well. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work out. It's not and he work. wasn't interested in seller financing because he's trying to do the quick flip and roll into the next deal. So, you know, I think when we looked him up on the assessor's website and the recorder's office, he had a history of buying a property and then selling it within a year. And I was like, this guy's just a flipper. That's what he does. He goes in, raises the rents, relists it, which is fine if the market continues to percolate and property continues to go up and interest rates, you know, you're in a good market. You can you can ride that ride. But I said, the ride's over. You know, he's, <laughs> you're going to get stuck with one of these properties. Letting the master work. <laughs> so so I said, let's, you know, unfortunately, again, you were kind of, I really want this property. I really want it, really want it, really want it. So I think eventually we figured out it's not, the numbers weren't going to be there. And he just wanted the price that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, not, wasn't going to happen. So then we said, well, you know, let's start looking at other deals. And every deal that we looked at uh, on the MLS, the realtors were not penciling out either. And it was good to kind of go through that to see what deals are bad. Yeah. And that's kind of where we started learning, okay, when you do see the right one, it meets your criteria. So all the ones that we looked at on none Zillow, none of them met. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And then I think that's kind of where, you know, some people get frustrated because these deals are like, how do you find a deal? How do you find a deal? And and it's true. Deals are hard to find right now. There's a big discrepancy between the buyers and the sellers and the interest rates. And so then I says, well, we need to maybe start looking at maybe some off-market properties. So then we started driving neighborhoods. Yeah, and you're, and you're like, hey, let's start driving neighborhoods. Let's start looking at start reaching out to some of the you know houses that are distressed and yeah. i at that time i didn't know what that really meant and right. what and that can mean a lot i mean it could be and, and and if they're not physically distressed they might be owner distressed right they might be in foreclosure mm-hmm. uh because i found i found those too on those deals where i found a property that was in a pre-foreclosure and they wanted to do a short sale so mm-hmm. that the guy didn't get foreclosed on. So the realtor had it listed. And I'm like, yeah, but they're in court. I actually looked up the court records mm-hmm. Who once I found out who the owner was. And then I did a search for the records and found out, oh, he's actually in litigation. And he's got till the end of the month to get back to the bank and the courts on what they're going to do. So, and sure enough, the realtor says, yeah, they're trying to do a short sale. And... The property was actually fine, but it was just, it was priced and had been on the market for a while. And so, you know, there's things that you're looking for when we're driving properties. I mean, we found a property that was definitely distressed. Oh yeah. We were driving around for probably about an hour and a half, two hours, and we stumbled across this property, broken windows, just falling apart. And you're like, this is it. 
this it, is the distressed house. But I'm it had a for, for sale sign on it because the other ones you just like literally like, what am I looking for? You're like, how about this one here? And I'm like, yeah, that one's not distressed enough. It's too nice. You know, it's too <laughs> nice. And I says the grass, the grass isn't tall enough. Um, there's people like actively walking around it and stuff. And then you were like, well, how do you even approach them? And I'm like, yeah, you don't want to approach. They're not. That's not distressed enough. You know, so just because somebody has a bunch of junk in the yard doesn't mean he just could be a slob may not mean that he wants to sell. So there's definitely indicators besides the realtor signs. And I always mm. say if it's for rent, it's probably for sale, too. Right. Um, you know, there's there's two houses I'm looking at right now cut on fire 4th of July 2022, and it's still not fixed. And I've been in contact and trying to negotiate with the, the owners to sell me that property. Mm-hmm. And because I said, every month that thing sets empty, they're losing money. You know, now mm-hmm. no realtor has been engaged. Right. So there's no signs on it. There's no nothing. It's just a it's just a, a house on a street that I drove and I know and I'm familiar with. And so I know that that's an opportunity. Right. So, you know, anything that looks out of place could potentially be a deal. So. Mm-hmm. We drove neighborhoods. Um, that one was a good one. I got all excited. I started talking to the neighbors, found out some more, and then we said, "Hey, let's go back and do our homework." Yeah, yeah, and that's when that's when we found out it was already sold. It was, right when <laughs> it had sold within the last twenty four hours. They about the time the realtor sign got put in the yard. If we would have found that a day early or a week earlier, oh yeah. Because it had been sitting there for three years. Three years, yeah. Because yeah. you went up to the neighbor and you're like, hey, tell me about this house. Who who lives here? They're like, nobody's been living here for three years. Yeah. And then saw people walking down the street and they're like, we haven't seen it, seen anybody driving. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing was, is somebody had started to work on that. They had some new wood in there and framing. It must have been a fire or something. And there was a new water heater. Somebody had started work and then just stopped. So, and we don't know if they ran out of money. We don't know what happened, but um, it was an opportunity. And it only, it took three years, two to three years before it got listed with a realtor. That's crazy. We saw it right away. We were like, we got to get on this. Yeah. 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 And the cool thing is, is we now know that neighborhood. So if we see something similar to that in that neighborhood, we've kind of already done our due diligence and research. So we'll know an opportunity on that street when it shows and plus up. Plus you saw the people walking around. Yeah. Good indicate. Yeah. Yeah. I I went and knocked on the doors and the neighbors. And of course they're like, yeah, what do you want? I'm like, yeah, hey, what can you tell me about the house? There was another couple that was doing their evening walk probably after dinner or lunch. Um, and I was like, hey, what can you tell me about the house? And of course they're like, well, not much, but it's been like that for two, three years. It's like, well, okay. So you live on this street. You know, this is something that they walked. They actually knew a lot more than mm-hmm. what they thought. And uh, all that information is valuable. I think one of the things that you also suggested was drive your neighborhood even at night. Yeah. And then once you find that neighborhood, check it out after dark, after 10 o'clock. Yeah. Because neighborhoods change when the sun goes down. Right? That is true. Yeah. 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 Did find that. <laughs> did, did find that out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the deal you ended up buying. <laughs> yeah. So what was it? Just... I was at work on my lunch break and I just, I've been looking for multifamily duplexes for a while and that's, you know, something I wanted to get into. So that was one of the filters I had on Zillow and had one pop up. It was a multifamily and in a nice neighborhood and the price was 
listed, you know, where I'd expect it to be, but I had to get more information on like the expenses and stuff and had to do the underwritings. Right. And once it was in an acceptable range, jumped on it right away. I'm like, I know this is the deal. This is it. And it was one duplex. And then an hour later, I got another notification, another duplex popped up and then another, and then another, <laughs> all in the same area, all all on the same street. And the same seller. And the same seller. So I'm like, all right, that's interesting. So I went out there the same, same day and just take a look at the properties. And we were able to get in, I think, one of the units uh, within the next day and wanted to make sure I had good guts and everything. And, you know, uh, my dad's, a, you know, he was a plumber and he knows what to look for so i brought him along having somebody who knows what to look for mm-hmm. really made you know a difference and then we're like all right yeah this is this is good you know i already went to the bank i know i can get approved for this house and you know talking to other family members and they were kind of saying hey you have three other duplexes on the same street by the same seller maybe you should consider looking at the other three. I'm like, I can't do that. How am I going to afford that? So then, you know, not only my family members had some friends come into the deal and had to start back up with the bank and start the process all over again. Yeah, because you had already been approved for the one duplex based on your income and your your employment. Yeah. And but now you got four of them for sale by the same seller and listed with the same agent in close proximity. You're like, hey, instead of that, why don't we try to pick up all four? Which was wasn't even a thought of mine, but you know. So they actually brought it up. They brought it up, and then we had to start back with the bank you know gotta go back to the bank gotta go back to the bank and then of course the first idea was is well hey if i'm gonna have a family member come into the deal we're gonna create a limited uh, liability company and i'll see and what did and then what's the bank say yeah so then the bank wanted to have my name and have also their name and all the other um investors in yeah any member of the llc has to come in and sign and, and I think we set up a Zoom call. Yeah, yeah. When we were talking about this, because that's what the bank wanted, and kind of go to the expert and say, "Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and, this, and, what and, are we doing here?" And luckily, they were on the call, and I and I asked them, "I'm like, uh, hey, investor, uh, it's awful nice that you want to bring money into the deal, and we're going to figure out how this works. But how excited are you to be on the hook uh, on a you know on on this mortgage?" Because the whole concept is, is they're bringing the money and you're going to bring sweat equity, right? You're right. not going to bring any money into the deal. Mm-hmm. They weren't happy about they, that. They're not they're, thrilled, right? So the, we got to figure it. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And and if you do it as just a multi-member LLC, that's what the bank's going to want you to do. Is they're going to want everybody to bring the taxes on the closing. Everybody's got to go to closing. So that's when I suggest, and as I always do, when you do a, a deal like this, where one person brings money and the other one's doing all the management and the sweat equity. Let's do a limited partnership. Mm-hmm. And that's that's exactly what we did. And, you know, the bank didn't really understand yeah. that concept as much. Yeah. So commercial lenders or, you know, loan officers don't, um, they don't lend to limited partnerships uh, as often as, as LLCs. 
So they may not understand it. So when I say is you may have to educate them. You may have to say, you know, hey, let's set this up as a general partner, limited partner. And of course, a limited partner is non-recourse on the loan. Mm -hmm. Even talk to a CPA too. Yeah. And you again, you went and talked to a CPA about the LLC and you brought up the idea of the limited partnership and what they said. And they said, no, nah, that's just, you don't need to do that. You it's don't the same thing. So we could do that with just one entity instead of two, right? Because we're going to create an LLC for the general partnership with just you. Mm -hmm. And then we're creating and then the, the limited partnership, you know, so you can do it. And in some states like California, that's probably the preferred method is to do a, uh, an LLC with a class A and a class B. And you can write in all of the rules in the operating agreement that way. Um, it's just a lot more work and you have to make sure you have an attorney that knows what they're doing to write that in there that you have two different share classes and one is recourse and one's non-recourse and I says well you can do that but you're gonna have to get a you know you're gonna have to pay the money for the attorney and then you're gonna have to turn around and explain it to the bank because the banks are not attorneys they don't understand they just think if you're in an LLC and you're a multi-member LLC we need everybody's taxes we need all that but I said we're in the state of Iowa. And in the state of Iowa, if you're a limited partnership, it's already baked into the deal at the state level mm. in the limited partnership. So you can just explain to the bank that it would actually be illegal for them to come in and sign because they cannot participate in the active management. And they certainly cannot sign on a loan that mm. is non-recourse by law, not, not just in accordance with the operating agreement. And then once they once the bank officers figure that out, then you were able to get this deal done with just you going to the closing, your signature. Well, they didn't. They still wanted their signature, even they didn't want to. Yeah, because so or maybe they didn't want to do the loan. They're like, well, they're bringing all the money because they were all like, well, he's they're bringing all the money and you're not bringing anything. Uh -huh. And and because they own over twenty percent which is kind of that magic number. If any partner owns more than 20%, they want them to come in and get signatures and, and all that. But they can't because the, the very act of doing that violates state law. And so then they didn't want to do the loan. So he says, well, there's more than one bank in town. And reached out to, what was it? Um, uh, Hill, Hill reached bank. out to my bank. Yeah. But, uh, but it bank, was, and yeah. after that, <laughs> my bank called back. They're like, yep, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> well, let me run that up to my manager and oh, we'll okay. see what they could do it. So ultimately, at the end of the day, you were able to do all four units. And plus, this was also to protect my investors as and, well. And yes, because we want non-recourse mm -hmm. for them. And that way, whatever money they brought, the only thing that they can lose is that money. So you as the general partner, you are re full recourse. And you mm -hmm. have to personally guarantee everything. Right. So, so you're putting your neck out on the line. Yep. Yep. Right. And technically, you're the one bringing the mortgage. So mm -hmm. I always get this question. Well, how much are you investing? And I says, well, I'm not bringing any of my money in cash, but I'm bringing my credit and I'm bringing my it's my responsibility. It's my neck and I'm bringing the rest. So if they're bringing 20 percent, I'm bringing 80 percent. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm just bringing my money in in a loan. Mm -hmm. I'm because I'm the one that's responsible for the loan. Right. right. So the limited partnerships are not. So that's a key difference is that I'm full recourse and I'm personally guaranteeing everything. I could lose my house. I could lose my cars. 
I would lose my wife and my family. <laughs> On top of that, things went bad. So I'm actually risking much more than they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just they're just risking some money. I'm risking money and everything else. Uh, so, you know, I'm actually bringing more to the table, even though you're not putting any money into the deal. Um, and of course you have to do all of the work and make it work and function. Right. Yeah. So, but, so we set up a limited partnership to protect your investors and also to protect you mm-hmm. and to give everybody exactly what they wanted out of the deal. Yep. Right. And the CPA didn't think they needed to do that, but the CPA is just looking at it through the lens of a CPA. An attorney is going to look at it from the lens of an attorney, and the banker is looking at it from the lens of the bank. So you have to be the general contractor, and you have to know a little bit about everything. Mm-hmm. And you may not dive deep into some of that. Like my CPA does my depreciation. I don't calculate that, but that's what the CPA is for. I understand it. I know what you're talking about, but I'm not the one actually crunching the numbers. Um, the same thing about law. I know enough about the law. But if you really want to dive down onto something, I'm going to hire the, the attorney. So it's just everybody's looking at it through their lens. And you've got to look at it through as a general contractor. I need to know a little bit about everything. That's right. 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 So so you were able to basically purchase four duplexes. Eight, yeah. So we were able to you know make a deal and get all four. And it was a lot closer to the 1% rule, yep. which was what was of interest on these and why this deal, it just took like five, six months mm-hmm. to find this deal. Yeah, it did. And it's a lot faster than I expected and yeah. a little more than what I wanted <laughs> to take on at first getting into it. Because you're, you're originally looking at maybe you know, 30, 40, 50,000 of your own money. And now here you're buying $650,000 or more of property yeah. with with none of your own money That's using right. OPM, mm-hmm. using a combination of investor money and the bank's money mm-hmm. and- uh, Sweat equity. <laughs> sweat equity, because how long would it take you uh, through your employment to save the money that was used for the down payment? Decade, five to 10 years, five if you really pushed it and lived very frugal, Yeah. right? So you were able to do this much quicker, accelerate it, and I would say it also accelerates your learning, right? It did, yeah. And best thing is just jumping in right away. I mean, there's only one way of learning, and that's by getting into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So some people get into analysis paralysis, where they're too busy, like, do I do it? Do I not do it? That's what I was doing. <laughs> I was doing, but good thing we didn't do it on those other deals. On those other deals. Yeah, because they weren't good. They weren't, they weren't as good. Yeah, no, but this one was, it was something I was willing to accept. It, it was a risk, but it was a calculated risk. Yeah, it's calculated risk. And that, that's the that's the key difference. You know, and, and you're going to make mistakes. You just want to make sure you don't make a big enough mistake that it kills you or it takes you down or, you know, makes you file bankruptcy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, so you don't want to be over leveraged. And, and so, you know, I never, well, I have done deals 100% down, but you usually want to at least try to put something down. And, uh, you know, in this one, you've, you've got a partner that was willing to put 20% down. And uh, so, and you've got, you've still got, you know, your your normal income through your employment. Mm-hmm. So as your safety net, as the bank said. And I would argue that buying this property in times that are tough like now, when things turn around, it's just going to be easier for you in the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was especially going through those pitfalls. 
I mean, that's yeah. the ups and downs, especially with the high interest rate and trying to make these deals work. Hopefully they go down and Yeah. What you think what you think of working with a realtor? Uh you know, I did end up going with the um same company that same brokerage. Same brokerage and you know, they were good, but you know, I'd probably would recommend, you know, doing it yourself or well, did you trust all the information they gave you? No, no. There was <laughs> you had to dig, dig into the information, and had to keep asking questions, and had to fact check the information that yeah. was given, and even sometimes to... that wasn't enough. But verify, trust but verify. Yeah, yeah. You and... know, Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. But you know, even then, the information that realtors give you is not accurate. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day. Uh, it's up to you and it's your due diligence on your closing mm -hmm. and making sure that uh, the numbers are where they need to be. And they have disclaimers as realtors yep. that, yep. you know, hey, you, this is this is what we're giving you is we believe it's factual, but you need to verify this on your own. Um, but and the most important thing is at the end of the day, we got the deal done. You got the deal done. You got the deal done. Although mm -hmm. you called me and said, uh, should we be worried about this uh, refrigerator? <laughs> and I'm like, you're seriously not talking about killing a $600,000 deal on a refrigerator, are we? Yeah, that might have happened. <laughs> that might have happened. That might have happened. It, it was, that was fun. I was like, well, okay, you know. But I've been there. I mean, you know, my first deal was around 600000 and. We ended up paying fifteen thousand more. We paid six hundred and fifteen thousand on that deal, and it's fifteen thousand more than I wanted to pay. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going to lose that deal. And now, now that property is valued over a million dollars. The assessed value is like one point two, one point three. Wow. So, and that's from twenty eleven to you know. So that's within uh, twelve years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost doubled. So you know, that's what you're going to be looking for. And, and that you're building that appreciation, depreciation, you're paying down the mortgage and you have cash flow, right? right? So, I mean, the cash flow isn't where it needs to be yet, but you're working on it and you're getting it there. Yeah, and you know, looking at these properties, it was, I know it's going to grow in value over time. It's yeah. not cash flowing. I mean, it was, you know, within ranges of where I wanted wanted to be at but i know over time it will get there because it's an investment it's a long-term property yeah so yeah, it's, it's a long-term wealth strategy that's right yeah. and it'll get there and i know it will and it's just gonna take time yeah it's gonna take um, time yeah yeah Awesome. So what's the plans now? So you had to register as a landlord in town. You had to take the landlord uh, uh, the training to be a, a licensed landlord. And, uh, you know, we don't talk about property management as much. I like to refer to more of asset management, mm -hmm. which is managing by the numbers. Where do we need to go? But being a landlord ultimately is a people business. Your tenants live there. Um, you have to interact with those people. And some people say, hey, I don't want to be a landlord just for that reason. Some investors just want to be a limited partnership so they don't have to deal with the people. Mm. They just want their returns. I always recommend that people be a landlord for a few years, get used to it. Uh, once the property's cash flowing better and you're a little more experienced, then if you want to hire a property management company, you can do that. So. Mm. 
But uh, now you still have these growths, but you've got your first property under your belt, and uh, congratulations. Yeah, definitely learning a lot. That's that's for sure. Just learning the ins and outs. It's interesting, and I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think it's been great. We've you've gone a long ways in in six months, and I'm guessing in another six months. Um, you know, you might might find more deals because now you've learned how to potentially buy properties mm -hmm. using OPM, other people's money. That's right. And yeah. not using your own money. So really, it just comes down to how many deals can you buy a year? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually told early on that I was buying too many properties too fast and I was growing too big too fast, which I thought was crazy at the time, but I understood what the bank was saying. Is, looking back at it now, you what know, do you looking think? back, yeah, yeah. I mean, I understood it, but um, I was doing it pretty much full time, so I was learning very, very rapidly. And I mean, I made a lot of mistakes, and and there's mistakes that I would never recommend to people that I did, and and things of that sort. But that's all ingrained in my character now, and I've I've gone this far that uh, I can look at those deals. And I can see what those mistakes are, mm -hmm. and uh, you know. So, if you, if you want to see the future, just look at the past. And and I, I'm I'm so much smarter. And uh, it, it's Robert Kiyosaki says he never trusts anybody under the age of 30 because they've never been through a downturn in the market, mm -hmm. right? So that's again why I say the fact that you're starting a business, which is real estate, uh, in a time where interest rates are high prices are crazy off and things and they don't cash flow and they don't pencil out it's a good time because if you would have started like a couple two three years ago when everything was like going really good you'd be like wow it's really hard now and and those are the guys that are gonna get in trouble mm -hmm. those are the opportunities that are coming up mm -hmm. so when you start out when it's the hardest you know it's just it's just pieces it's just and it's gonna prepare Prepares you know marks they're saying the market's gonna crash soon so hopefully there's going to be more deals out there. The, and The real estate market's going to be very interesting. The next, you know, three, four years is going to be uh, a ride, I think. Um, but there's going to be a lot of opportunities. And, and now I know uh, what to look for. Yeah. So I'm, that's what I'm really, you know, interested to see how it goes in the next couple of years to right. really see those deals kind of shine, I right. guess. Doing, right. you know, the right underwriting, make sure it meets the 1% rule. And go right. taking it from there. Right. And you've got me at least for a few more months yet here before we get to the <laughs> oh, one yeah. year. But, but you know, tying into uh, the, the local mastermind groups, tying into friends that are in the mm -hmm. real estate business, uh, you know, being being able to get advice and mentorship. That's that's really the value there. Oh, because yeah. uh, until you gain that experience, you have to build, you have to borrow someone else's credibility and their experience. Mm -hmm. So just like you did with money, you yeah. know, instead of using your own money, you you tie it into someone else's money, mm -hmm. and you do the same thing with the knowledge and property management and asset management, and every time you look at a deal, so you know that's the power of being involved. I was in having a good mentor, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't be where yeah. I'm at without you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, whether whether it's one mentor or one deal like that, or you know, most of my mentors I've never met, but as you've mm -hmm. noticed in my studio. Here is I've got tons and tons of audio tapes oh, yeah. and CDs that are all from people that I would call a mentor and who have taught me well, what I've known up to this point, along with the mistakes and experiences that mm. I did. So, 
yeah, it's all very valuable. So, all right. Well, Luke, thanks for coming into the appreciate it podcast and having a sit down. I think this is the first time I've had a in studio interview. Uh, I went out and did a on site interview. Uh, with someone and now I've got somebody in the studio and I had to rearrange things and, and uh, but hopefully it's all worked out well so but again thanks for coming on yeah and, thanks and for bringing me on appreciate it you bet all right well good luck and I'll talk to you soon <laughs> thanks Jeff all right. all right guys what did you think about Luke's story Luke learned a lot in a short amount of time but what I admired most about him is his dedication to personal growth and his determination to move forward and take action. He was extremely coachable and implemented everything that we discussed in our one-on-one -on -one sessions as well as my monthly mastermind meetings. So if you're interested in these exact same techniques that Luke and I use to become financially free, then hit that like button, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and subscribe to my Student of Money podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on my website at studentofmoney.org. And always remember, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I'll see you next week right here at Student of Money. All right, guys, for those of you that stuck to the end, make sure you attend my monthly masterminds at the Cedar Rapids Public Library from 2 to 4 p.m. We've got one this Sunday on the 24th of September, and we're going to be talking about the build-to-rent model, so new construction, development, but specifically not to buy and sell, but to buy and hold for a long-term rental. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll see you then.